All right. Good morning. Uh, given our smaller numbers and Doug talking about this being a large, small group, uh, I think I'm going to do something a little different this morning. And uh, maybe we should make this a summer rhythm or something. I don't know. But if you're in the last two to three rows, can I convince you to, uh, to come up? And I'm actually going to sit here, I think. Tom, I'm going to borrow your... Um, your deal here. Yeah, sit in the couches. There we go. Ah, I see the back row Baptists back there. I see your, uh... <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, we're, uh, we're all about expressing yourself in whatever way you uh, desire, and if that's in the back row, that's in the back row. Um, we started a series last week called Original Blessing. Um, this comes out of the idea, we're going to, we're looking through... Genesis chapters 1 and 2 for a few weeks, and um, probably for the last few hundred years or so, uh, a lot of theology, when you study theology and when you get to humanity in the study of theology, it often starts with sin. Uh, And so we talk about the problem of sin, we talk about original sin, uh, we talk about... um, fallen, broken humanity. And it's, I think a big part of it is because we, uh, we live in a fallen world, and so we view the world through this lens of fallenness and brokenness and heartache. Uh, and what that can do is it often causes us to forget the beginning. It, it often causes us to forget that uh, God created a beautiful world and the original intent God had for creation was shalom. This idea of universal flourishing, this, this idea of beautiful intimacy between God and his creation, and, and that God created humans to have this beautiful, intimate relationships of shalom with God and with each other uh, and within our inner being and with the earth that he created. Uh, but because we live in such a broken world, we, we, I think we often forget that. And so my hope in these few weeks looking at uh, these chapters is that uh, we can reimagine what God intended for the world and, what, and that we can reimagine what God intended uh, for the earth. We can reimagine what God intended for humanity and, and our place uh, here on earth. Uh, as God's divine image bearers. And so uh, today, the big thing I really want to focus on is this idea of image. Um, what is image? And uh, how can we live more fully into this idea of image? Uh, but I want to start by reading you... Um, I had a mentor in Michigan who I met, met with every week for probably the four years before moving here. So about four years I met with him every week. Uh, He lived on the lake shore. Uh, We were closer to Grand Rapids, but uh, we would meet 
every week, and his name is Stephen Bulma Prediger. He wrote this, he wrote several books, but this, this book, For the Beauty of the Earth. And in this book, he uh, retells the Genesis 1 story in really beautiful poetic form. Uh, Genesis 1 is written as a poem, and he kind of retells it. So this is what I'd like to do. I, I, uh, whether you want to close your eyes and uh, imagine this story unfolding or uh, keep your eyes open, but uh, let's, uh, in our interior, ask God to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears uh, to rehear this story in a new and, and beautiful and imaginative way that uh, allows us to have greater awe and wonder for the creator God of the universe and what this God has done and continues to do in the work of creation. In the beginning was God, and over a deep, dark, watery abyss, a formless void of nothingness, God's creative spirit swept, hovering like an eagle over her brood, like a rushing wind, God's spirit moved when it was time to create the heavens and the earth. And in the midst of this chaotic darkness, God spoke, and light, like the pulse of a quasar, came to be. And God saw that this brilliant light was good, and so pushed back the darkness to make room for the light. God named the light day, and the darkness night, evening and morning, the first day. God spoke, and it was so. Out of chaos, order. From what was empty and dark came a fullness of light. And God spoke again, and in the midst of the chaotic waters, God fashioned a dome a celestial roof carving out space between the waters above and the waters below, so the waters were put in their place. And God named this protective space sky, evening and morning, the second day. God spoke, and it was so, out of chaos, order. From what was fluid and flowing came the bounded firmament. And God spoke again, and the disordered waters under the sky were gathered together so that dry land appeared. And God named the dry land earth and the gathered waters seas. God saw that this too was good. And God spoke yet again, and the earth gave birth to plants and trees of every kind. And this too, this greening, living earth, God saw was good. Evening and morning. The third day, God spoke, and it was so. Out of chaos, order, from the sea came land, and on this dry land, fruit trees flourished. And God spoke again, and the earth's greater and lesser lights, and the stars were created to separate day from night and to serve as celestial signs of the seasons. God set the sun and moon in the dome to rule over day and night. God made the two great lights, and God saw that all this, too, was good. Evening and morning, the fourth day, God spoke, and it was so. From emptiness to fullness, 
heavenly space was filled with brilliant lights. And God spoke again, and with this speaking, the waters below brought forth swarms of living things of every kind, and the sky above was filled with winged birds of every kind, shrimp and suckers and sea monsters, warblers and waxwings and woodpeckers. And God saw that these creatures were good. And God blessed them. God spread his blanket of blessing upon them, that they might be fruitful and multiply and fill the space created for them. Evening and morning, the fifth day. God spoke, and it was so, from emptiness to fullness. Water and sky were filled with creatures great and small. And God spoke again, and by this word, the earth brought forth living land creatures of every kind, cattle and kangaroo and cobra. And God saw that all these creatures, domestic and wild and creeping upon the ground, were good. And then God spoke another word. In consort with the heavenly court, God willed to make an earth creature in God's own image, after God's own likeness, to rule the fish and the fowl, the creatures domestic and wild. So male and female, God created these, his own image bearers, and God blessed them. In their filling and ruling of the earth, they were to mirror God. And God gave to these earth creatures and to every living creature green plants and fruit to eat. And God beheld all that God had made, and it was very, very good. Evening and morning, the sixth day. God spoke, and it was so. From emptiness to fullness, the earth was filled with living creatures of every kind, including the divine image-bearing human. And so the heavens and the earth and all their multitude of creatures were made. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And God blessed this day and made it holy. For on it, God ceased from his labor of love. The word of the Lord. God, thank you for this reflection, this... imaginative retelling of the creation story. God, as we continue this morning, I pray that you would lead and guide us by your Spirit as your own Spirit hovered over the waters. May your Spirit hover here and bring beauty and order and shalom out of the chaos of our own lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, if I were to ask you to name some of your favorite memories from childhood, uh, for how many of you would those memories be memories that took place outdoors? Okay, a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, 1 through uh, 25 re reveal to us that God's creation is not just human-centric. Uh, the opening verses of the scriptures tell us of the creation that God ultimately then chose to make humans to entrust that creation to us. That as God rules 
as a loving steward, we are invited to rule as loving stewards. Um, one of the things I love about this story, uh, we can have the first slide, Rebecca. In Genesis 1.24, it says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. Uh, God partners with creation. God, God doesn't just create something and then leave it. God doesn't create something and control it. God invests in the creative process with that which he creates. And so God somehow empowers the land itself to produce and to make living creatures, let alone uh, vegetation and trees and such. Um, and then late on the sixth day, God makes humanity. And the text tells us that God makes humans in God's image. It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Uh, let's have fun. What, what, what is image? What does it mean to be image of God? What do you think? God's likeness? What, what does that look like? God's image, God's likeness. What is that? Flesh. Flesh? Okay. What's that? It reminds you of somebody? Okay. Other thoughts? A baby version of. A baby version of. All right. Tom? Containing the characteristics of. Containing the characteristics of. Reminds you of. Yeah, uh, the scholarship on this is all over the map. People can't actually pinpoint what exactly this means, but there's a, a lot of consistency. Uh, one of the big consistencies is to be human is to be in relationship. Uh, God, if we in our Christian heritage believe that God somehow is mysteriously Father, Son, Spirit intimately communion, communing within God's own self, that to be image inherently means to be in relationship and to be in communion uh, with God, with others, within ourselves, and with the earth that God's entrusted us with. And so to be human is to be in relationship. Um, that doesn't mean creatures can't be in relationship, though, right? So... so uh, the relational connection must be significantly different, one would assume, for humanity uh, than for creatures. Another big aspect of image is that uh, people talk about uh, language, that humans have this rational capacity for language in the way no creature does, or at least has yet to develop. Who knows? Uh, dolphins seem pretty interesting in their communicative uh, capabilities. Uh, but uh, we have a language that we put to relationship as well, and the way we relate to God, to others, to self, to the planet. Um, another is uh, in the ancient world, 
in the uh, literature of Egypt and Mesopotamia, they would talk about uh, image in terms of kings, like kings image God, uh, but the rest of humanity doesn't. So it's generally those in power who image God. And what the Genesis story does is subvert that. It uses language of rule for all humanity. And so the Genesis story teaches us that the way God rules as king is the way all humanity should rule in the areas of influence we have, whether it's with other people or with the earth. And God's rule is always one of generosity, benevolence, love. Uh, and so the Genesis story subverts the other creation narratives by saying all humans are created to look like God. Not just some in power, but all humans are created to look like God. Uh, interesting that then later in Israel's story, one of the main commandments is this, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. Because other religious traditions would make images of their God of wood or stone uh, and set them up and say, this is our God or this is what our God looks like. And the creator God in the Israel story and in the Christian heritage says, don't do that. Why? Because God has already crafted his image and it's in you and it's all over the planet. God says, I will make my glory known in every human being. Don't try to replicate it, you can't, because I've already done it, and you are what I look like to the world. Uh, so God entrusts to these humans to look after creation, to rule. Um, God created mankind, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Uh, a couple of things around this. First, God blesses humanity. Uh, but interestingly enough, this is not the first blessing in the scriptures. Verse 20, where am I? Verse 22 after God has made the sea creatures and the birds, God says to them, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. So the first blessing in all of the biblical narrative is given to creatures before humans are ever created. Uh, I wonder what this teaches us about God. And I wonder what this teaches us about our role as people who are to look like God. That the first blessing in the entire biblical narrative is given to creatures, not humans. Uh, I think we probably have a lot to contemplate and to learn about what this might mean about the creator God of the universe and us as image bearers of the divine. That Later, at the end of Genesis, 
verse 29, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. This is uh, God speaking to humanity. But then right on the heels of that, God says, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. Uh, I wonder what this teaches us about this creator God of the universe and God's heart for all creation and what it might mean for the preservation of ecosystems and natural habitats for all of God's creatures. That God puts this, it's right in the creation narrative, right in the beginning of the story, and that God entrusts us to look like God for all the creatures, for all of God's creation. Um, so other, other scholarship would say a part of image means to care and to love all creation the way God cares for and loves us. If we rule as God rules, if we look like God looks like, it means that God has embedded God's self within us to look like God to all creation and that this is a part of what it means to be image that is distinct from all the other creatures God has made. Uh, so I wonder if we asked ourselves, what does God look like? I found this interesting that recently, uh, I think it was University of North Carolina, some psychologists did a study and they invited a bunch of people in uh, to ask what does God look like and they had a bunch of faces uh, come across the screen and they picked the one that they think God looks most like. And this is a hodgepodge of what? <laughs> a white male. Uh, and what the researchers found uh, is that uh, people generally think God looks like them rather than we look like God. Uh, and I, I think the data was a bit skewed uh, on this, but uh, <laughs> all that to say, um, what does God look like? God looks like every single human on this planet. That's what God looks like. Because God has created every single human on this planet in the image and likeness of God. Uh, if we really want to see what God looks like, because we're all deeply flawed and deeply broken. If we really want to see what God looks like, I believe we look to Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1, Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus comes to show us what God is like, and Jesus comes to show us what it means to be truly human. That if we were to live into the full capacity of the image of God, it looks like Jesus. And so if we want to know what God is like, and if we want to know what it means to be fully human in the image of God, we look to Jesus. We immerse ourselves in the Gospels. We study the teachings and life of Jesus, and we long to live more fully into that. Uh, <coughs> Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians 3, he says this about humanity. We all, 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. This is our deepest longing to experience greater union with creator God of the universe, who is transforming us into his image. The image is not lost. Every human on this planet bears the image of God, has the divine imprint embedded within them. But, but it's marred, it's broken, it's bent. And we are invited into this journey to experience transformation into the image of God. That this is the invitation. Uh, I, um, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Wendell Berry. He's a farmer in Kentucky. And he, uh, I'm going to probably mess this quote up, but uh, he has a quote where he says, there is no, um, there, are, there are no unsacred spaces. Everything is either sacred or desecrated. And I've thought about that a lot, and, and I've thought about it in terms of our own human transformation and our own human journey, and it seems to me that this is also true uh, of uh, our own lives, that there is no unformed life. We are all either being formed or being deformed. And we are invited in the, into the process of being formed, being transformed into the image and likeness of the creator God of the universe, to return to that original blessing, that original glory that God intended for us from the very beginning. Um, we, we live in a time when it's very easy uh, to say things about other people and hide. Social media, hint, hint. Um, and I wonder uh, if we're thinking about people's humanity and they're being created in the image of God before we say such things. Um, I, th there's a couple of quotes that I've been holding on to for a while. I don't know if I'll get to the second one, but I want to I read this quote from Brené Brown in her new book. She says, here's what I believe. If you are offended or hurt when you hear Hillary Clinton or Maxine Waters called the B word or the C word, you should be equally offended and hurt when you hear those same words used to describe Ivanka Trump, Kellyanne Conway, or Theresa May. If you felt belittled when Hillary Clinton called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables, then you should have felt equally concerned when Eric Trump said Democrats aren't even human. When the President of the United States calls women dogs or talks about grabbing them by the beep, we should get chills down our spine and resistance flowing through our veins. When people call the President of the United States a pig, we should reject that language regardless of our politics and demand discourse that does not make people subhuman. When we hear people referred to as animals or aliens, we should immediately wonder 
is this an attempt to reduce someone's humanity so we can get away with hurting them or denying them basic human rights? If you're offended by a meme of Trump photoshopped to look like Hitler, then you should be equally offended by Obama photoshopped to look like the Joker. There is a line. It's etched from dignity. And raging, fearful people from the right and left are crossing it at unprecedented rates every single day. We must never tolerate dehumanization, the primary instrument of violence that has been used in every genocide recorded throughout history. Uh, James uh, puts it succinctly. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Uh, what if, next slide, what, what if the first thing we thought when we saw another person was image of God? What if we saw their divine infused humanity first? Um, I hope to be a person who is living more and more fully into the image and likeness of God. Uh, I'm a person who studies the scriptures and longs to follow the way of Jesus. I'm a person who loves the Bible. And so when uh, this past week I, I see someone in the administration quote Romans 13 in such an abusive way, the anger that rose within me, I had to step back and recognize that person's humanity first. Their fallen humanity, yes, but the, the image of God present. Uh, what does it look like for us when we first see a person or hear about a person or think about a person, whether we know them or not, to say, image of God, image of God, image of God. Uh, what does it look like for us to hold that person and say, God, they are your child, created in your image. And whatever we may think or feel about that person or what they have done or what they haven't done, to entrust that person to God and say, God, they are yours, just as I am yours. Help me to view them as your divine image bearers. And, and when we feel hurt or belittled, uh, what does it look like? Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, teaches us to bless those who hurt us, to pray for those who persecute us. God, how do we live into that more fully as your divine image bearers. Um, 
I think I will read this second quote for you that I've been holding on to for a while. Um, so the, uh, the royal wedding that happened a few weeks ago, uh, I don't know if I should be proud or embarrassed to tell you I got a, uh, that I didn't even know who Meghan Merkel was. I had, to look, I had to look her name up and realize, oh, she's an actress from the US. Okay, now she's royalty. Uh, but what I did find fascinating is uh, somebody told me about the homily at the royal wedding and said, you've got to watch this. So I watched it. Apparently, he was given like five minutes and he went 15. Uh, it was Bishop Michael Curry uh, from the US here. From Chicago, yeah. So I want to read you part of his homily because it is so inspiring. And I think it really connects to uh, what does it look like for us to view others in the image of God and how do we live into this image more fully. And he says about Jesus, he died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He didn't. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love does. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial and in so doing becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives, and it can change this world. If you don't believe me, just stop and imagine. Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where love is the way. Imagine this tired old world where love is the way. When love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. Or we could say no child will ever be separated from their parents where there are separations by nations. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all of God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other, well, like we are actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all, and we are brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. Love. And when we talk about to be human is to be in relationship. Central to relationships is love. Because God is is love. And so I believe to be in the image of God is to allow God's love to flow through us to a broken and hurting world, to bring God's love to one another and to all creation. Uh, God poured out his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
to invite us into this journey of transformation to more fully look like God to the world. This morning, when you're invited forward, if you should choose to come and, and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, my hope is that you will know this love more deeply than ever before and that it, you will be filled back up with the love of God to take it back out to the world. Uh, maybe we can have that slide up with the question uh, for us to consider. And a, a, as we come up, as you see your church family coming forward, and you look at them, image of God, image of God, image of God. And may that carry with you when you walk out these doors and you encounter other people. May you say, image of God, image of God, image of God. God, thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your presence with us. Thank you that you are a God whose love is always with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. God, we want to live more fully into the image you created us for. I pray that whatever, whatever within us would keep us from living more fully into your image, God, that you would strip it away and that we would trust your very spirit who lives in us to lead and guide us into the way of Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.